people's circumstances change, they change quickly. If you're somebody that's been in contact with them and has stayed in touch with them over time, then when it's time to do something, you're going to be the one they call. Best Ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or cause that is near and dear to our heart, get the word out about their cause, and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month, then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com. And there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Jerry Puckett. How you doing, Jerry? I'm doing well, Joe. Thank you for inviting me onto the Best Ever Show. Appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Nice to have you. And a little bit about Jerry. He is the founder and managing partner at New Refined Images. He helps clients source deals through direct mail and internet marketing. He sent over 1 million pieces of mail to more than 90 markets in 2017. And you can learn more about his company at marketlikeawholesaler.com. Based in Fort Worth, Texas, Cowtown, where I'm from. With that being said, Jerry, do you want to give the best of listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure, you bet. I did not start off to have a marketing service. That was not my goal. That was not my plan. <laughs> I just wanted to be a wholesaler. In 2010, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer, and I needed to find something that I could do from home so that I could take care of her. It was either quit my job, stay home and take care of her, or it was to hire somebody else to stay home and take care of her. And I just couldn't see me doing that. So I ended up falling in with a friend of ours who had a very small real estate company. And all she wanted me to do was answer the phone for her. So it went from that to just a long story short, she really had no people skills. She could analyze a number up, down, backwards and sideways, but she could not talk to people. So I was talking with them on the phone, and she'd go out there and ruin the deal every time. So they'd say, we, we spent 20 minutes, 30 minutes on the phone with Jerry. Where's he? So she started bringing me along to her appointments with her, and I found out that I had a knack for negotiation. So at one point, we had two fully executed contracts, and she only had enough money to close on one. And we didn't know anything about creative financing at the time. So she was like, oh, my goodness, what do we do with this other one? And I said, well, I've been reading Bigger Pockets. Why don't you let me wholesale that thing? She said, wholesale, what's that? I don't know anything about wholesaling. I said, that's okay. I do because I've been reading Bigger Pockets. So I made a couple of calls, sold the property, made a $10,000 fee in just a few minutes, and I was hooked. That's it. Wholesaling is cool. It's really easy. So I thought at the time, what I didn't really factor into my equation at the time was that she had done all the work ahead of time of setting up the marketing campaigns and everything else like that. So when I actually got out on my own, I had to learn how to do all of that stuff for myself. So I had a colleague from my very first Bigger Pockets colleague, his name's John Klaus. He was kind of watching over my shoulder as I got better at wholesaling here in DFW. And he's like, you're doing a really good job competing there against some of these big guys. Could you do a campaign like that for me down in Austin? And I drank the bigger pockets Kool-Aid a long time ago. I wanted to pay it forward. 
So I said, sure, no problem. We'll just set it up and I'll run it like I do with my own systems. And all you'll have to do is take the calls and make the deals. And he thought that sounded pretty good. So within five months, he had three deals under contract and he had netted six figures off of each. So what does he do? He gets back on bigger pockets and starts shooting his mouth off about it. Hey, six figure income from a yellow letter. Next thing I know, my phone's ringing off the hook. Hey, Jerry, can you help me with my marketing? Can you, can you? So that's how the marketing service was first built. I ended up going out to a Bigger Pockets conference out in Denver that year. And people all over the place were saying, hey, can you mentor me? Can you mentor me? There were folks out there that were charging $10,000, $15,000 a pop up front just to teach people regurgitated crap that you could get anywhere for free. So I just saw the two things kind of dovetail. Well, there's nothing I can really teach you unless you're actually out there talking to sellers and you're not going to be talking to sellers unless you're doing your own marketing. So, hey, why don't you use my marketing pieces? And the least I can do is teach you how to go from there. So that's how the whole market like a wholesaler thing got started. Dovetailed exactly at the same time when the MLS dried up for investors and they weren't able to find products on the MLS anymore so that a lot of them would say, Jerry, you always have product. How come I don't have product? I said, well, you got to market like a wholesaler. And one thing just kind of led to another and one market after another, one investor after another, one state after another, people were coming to me. I was doing their marketing for them and it just kind of grew from there. If you check out my profile over at Bigger Pockets, you'll see we've got something like seven dozen positive reviews from people that are out there making money off of what we're doing. I don't try to reinvent the wheel. I just kind of stay sharp and in front of the different trends. You learn a lot by split testing with over a million pieces in 90 markets. And so I almost feel like I'm cheating, but that's the way we do it. Everything we do is custom and boutique. Split testing that many tests, for lack of a better word, you're going to learn a lot. What have you learned? Well, the funny thing is I can take all the data that we get from the mailings and I can kind of put it on a heat map of sorts. Google's got some pretty amazing features. And so I start to see trends. I start to see something that happens out in California or over in New York, and I know that it's going to spread. I see from the results of the mailings that some language choices work well while others don't. So it's just something that you pick up along the way. We monitor every response that comes in. So everything that we write is done custom. We don't use the templates that are just stale. I don't write letter two until I see the results from letter one, et cetera, et cetera. So I see trends a lot of times before they happen. I know when an area is getting hot. I know when an area is drying up. I can see it shift from one place to the other. And hopefully when you examine all of that, you can get in front of it. So I think that's one of the advantages that we have is that we're able to stay in front of the market as it were and stay out in front of everybody else. What are some language choices that work well? Well, you got to be somewhat particular to your market in that. So for instance, the things that I say in Austin absolutely wouldn't work in Denver. And the things that I might say in Southern California could probably get you locked up in New <laughs> Hampshire. You want to kind of focus in on the vernacular. It'd be kind of hard to do it nationally. But for example, when I'm in Texas, I say things like y'all circle the wagons, Mustangs on the mail piece itself. People love horses out in Texas. <laughs> oh, I thought but, you were talking uh, about the car. Oh, no, 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 no. Mustangs. We've done some studies on that, the psychological profiling of American people. 
They've always wanted an American kind of royalty and people have an affinity for horses, for Mustangs. It's a real subtle psychological thing, but if you put a picture of a Mustang on the outside on your envelope, your open and read rate's going to jump way up. Sometimes just that simple. What do you put in New Hampshire? You mentioned New Hampshire. You got me curious about that state. New Hampshire, everybody... They're Yankees, right? And they think that everybody's out to kind of scam them. And there are a lot of, well, I guess I'm just going to say there are older folks that if there's certain things that you must do, you must put your full name on the return address. If you don't, they're just going to assume that you're a scammer and they're going to call the cops on you or they're going to report you to the district attorney or something like that. You must do that. You must be absolutely polite. You must use Mr. and Mrs. when you address somebody. No, hey, Dave or hey, Bob. It's got to be very formal, it's got to be very polite, and you've got to assure them somewhere along the course of the way that you are not (laughs) trying to scam them, that you really do want to buy their property. And please give me a call and then have the number be one that works well and not at all try to be anonymous. That's the thing when you're over anywhere in New England is if you try to be anonymous in any kind of a way, you're automatically going to be targeted as a scammer and they will call the police on you quickly. What happens when they call the police? Well, usually the police will will call you and say, hey, we got a report from so-and-so that you're running some kind of a scam. You're not doing anything wrong. You're not doing anything illegal. So you've got to explain to them exactly what you're doing, how you got the address and everything else. And they'll usually just leave it with, well, okay, but take so-and-so off your list. Which And I'm like, of course. (laughs) My list. I I don't want to have anything else to do with them. But if you're in this business for any length of time, something like that's going to happen. I've listened to quite a number of older posts that Michael Quarles will put out. He's got recordings of people who have called him and threatened to shoot him in the head, different things like that. So I've got a few snippets of those myself. You get all kinds of interesting calls with people who'd want to do all kinds of crazy things to you. Just because they get mad. They get mad. I don't know why they get mad, but they get mad. Conversely, Southern California, what's the approach there? Man, Southern California is a bear to get anybody to notice you at all. We're lucky if we get a 1% response rate out there. That is by far the toughest market anywhere. So the approach there is you've got to kind of be bold and over the top, and you have to exude a frame of mind that says that you have money and that you're able to move quickly. I know that that sounds kind of like Captain Obvious, sort of thinking, but it's not because in a lot of markets, you want people to think that you're just the guy next door. Mm -hmm. A lot of markets. Yeah. Here in Texas, I get in the door by being the guy next door. Yep. I just do a couple of deals a year to help buy Christmas presents and groceries. But in California, if you take that kind of, I guess you would call it a kiss me approach. If you take that kind of approach in California, you're never going to get a call. No one is ever going to call you. So the best thing you can do there is show them pictures of other deals that you've done, maybe put some of your numbers out there, anything that's going to be visually appealing and speak to their heart immediately. It can't be overdone. It's still got to be a short and a sweet message, but we've gotten traction just by saying, hey, here's the last deal that we did, or point them to a website where you might have testimonials. Here's what so-and-so had to say after doing a deal with us, and just have that be something easy that they can get to and listen to. That will capture their attention sometime, and if not, they'll give you a call just to check you out and kick your tires, and if they've done that, then you're in the door, so to speak. You're in play. Mm -hmm. Once anybody's called, that's one of the biggest things that folks will do wrong is they don't follow up. 
I could have somebody call me and say, take me off your list, and that's fine. I'm going to take you off the list. I'm not going to waste any more money mailing to you because now I have your phone number. I can reach out and touch you anytime that I want for free, and you've already opened the door by calling me. So the way I work any given market, I continue to stay in touch with people until one of four things happens. They either will sell me their property, sell it to someone else, tell me to go to hell or die. And if they die, then I'm going to follow up with their executors and the heirs until they sell me their house, sell it to someone else, tell me to go to hell or die. Wouldn't the take me off your list be basically telling you to go to hell? So wouldn't that already take them off the list? No? No. No. Go to hell means literally, I'm going to shoot you in the head. Leave me alone. They'll get mad. If somebody's rude, if they're at the point where they're rude on the phone, I won't ever speak to them again. I'm done. But if somebody is just, you know, hey, you know, I'm not really interested. Take me off the list. That's okay because people's circumstances change frequently. The people who were in distress this month, last month they didn't have a clue what was going on or that they were going to fall into something where they needed some help. And the people who are going to be in distress next month, right now, they're cruising along like everything's fine. So when I reach out, I just usually just use text. I will reach out and text somebody maybe three or four times a year if they'll say, take me off the list. Only one of about four things can happen. And I'll just say something like, hey, Bob, it's been a while since we've talked. Has everything been okay? I don't ask about the property specifically. Polite society being what it is, their only point of reference for speaking with me in the first place is their property. So when I reach out to them like that, they can either answer back and say, Jerry, I'm still not interested, but thanks for checking on me. And that's fine. Then I've deepened my rapport with them and I've reconnected my name with selling their house. Or they could say, Jerry, I'm not interested right now, but I know somebody who is. And didn't you offer me a referral fee? So they can refer me to somebody. Or at that point, they can tell me to go to hell, leave them alone, don't ever contact them again. So any of those things happen, that's fine. It pushes my agenda a little bit more forward. And they could always say, you know, Jerry, things have changed. I'm interested in hearing your offer now. And that happens more often than you would think. People's circumstances change. They change quickly. If you're somebody that's been in contact with them and has stayed in touch with them over time, then when it's time to do something, you're going to be the one they call. That's why everybody who does this just preaches about being persistent and consistent. And that's why the more persistent and consistent you are, the luckier you get. You're going to be the one they call. And when you were talking about the different states and the vernacular that you use or the approach, that's not just your off-the-cuff thoughts. That's based on quantifiable split-testing research. Is that correct? That's correct. We have a system that we use for everybody that we work with that allows them to track their responses. It really kills two birds with one stone. I call it a lead tracker. It's not quite sophisticated enough to be software. It's a spreadsheet with a lot of bells and whistles built into it. But while it allows the client someplace to track their calls, set appointments, take notes and everything like that, it also keeps my master mailing list updated in real time so that I don't ever have to nag anybody to do it. But part of keeping track of the calls is that I ask them and try to teach them how to take good notes when they're talking to people. And if they happen to record calls, then that's something I can hear too. And I can actually listen to the way people talk. But yes, in any given market, I will keep track via that lead tracker which version of the text that I use for which segment. So that gives me back information on the back end. I can see who responded to what. 
And with this many different pieces to play with, I've done things as small as moving a comma to see if that helps or doesn't help. I know that sounds silly, but you really have to test something to death. I've heard that when you put in a comma, it makes the amount look larger, but when you remove the comma, then it makes the amount look smaller. Yeah, anything that gives more white space on the page is going to be helpful. But then on the other hand, if you don't use a comma, sometimes when people are reading it, they don't take a breath as they're reading the message in their mind where they should. So if you meant to pause for emphasis, then it's not there. So there's a lot of different things to take into consideration. I tell people all the time that just because you have a printer on your desk and you know how to use mail merge, that doesn't mean you're a marketer. It's any more than having a set of tools out in your garage makes you a mechanic. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of things to take into consideration if you're trying to crack a market open and you're really trying to succeed. I do have some tools in my garage, and I am definitely not a mechanic, so I understand that. The direct mail that you do, do you work with any investors who purchase medium to large apartment buildings? I have worked with people who have bought up to, I think the largest any of my clients has bought is like a 50 unit. So I guess that would probably be small to you, considering that the things that you do, I think it was pretty big to them. Where would you put 50? Is that small uh, or that small or medium? I don't know. I, we'll say medium. We'll call it medium. So what is the approach for the 50 unit compared to what you're doing with the single families? Oddly enough, a lot of the messaging is the same. Messaging when you're trying to buy something is usually, it's just different iterations of your contact information, plus the benefits of working with you, plus a strong call to action. So if you apply that formula, it's the same thing, but with the apartment owners, and also with mobile park home owners, you want to convey to them that you really know what you're talking about. So if you start talking about the rent rolls or separately metered, different things like that. If you want to let people know that you know what you're talking about and that you are a fellow landlord, and if nothing else, but if you're not interested in selling, I certainly would like to network with you. I'd like to know more people like you. So oftentimes it's a matter of just getting them into your network. The community of people who own properties like that is much smaller. So if you're networking with everybody, these folks also, they see each other at different uh Oh, gosh, what's the word for it? They network with each other in different ways. So if you get into somebody's network, there's a good chance that you're going to be able to reach out through somebody else because they're involved in the same association. They go to the same sorts of meetings. They deal with the same sorts of issues. So conquering that smaller market is actually a lot easier than when you're doing a single family house. Man, to hit all the prospects that you need to, it's usually a pretty huge prospect and most people's budgets don't carry that kind of wallop to it. But when you're looking at the apartment buildings, the community is much smaller. So you try to capture all of them and get all of them into your network. Based on your experience as a real estate entrepreneur, what is your best advice ever for investors? Don't cheap out. If you want to make money in this business, don't go cheap. There's just too many people out there that they try so hard to pinch a penny that they'll make the thing scream. And I was brought up with the notion that the harder you squeeze a watermelon seed, the more likely it is to slip right out of your fingers. So I've seen people try to outsmart people that have been doing this for years. I've seen them try to come up with 
uber laser targeted list that nobody else has thought of. They'll bend over backwards trying to save money instead of counting the cost of what it's going to take to actually get to where they want to be. So my best advice that I can give to your best ever listeners would be really consider what it is that you want to do and count the cost. Don't cheap out on it. Sink some money into it if you're going to make some money back on it. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Ooh, best ever lightning round. Okay, yes. (laughs) All right, cool. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Best ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or a cause that is near and dear to our heart, get the word out about their cause, and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month. Then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com. And there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out. What is your return on life? Do you struggle with investing for a safe return? American Real Estate Investments specializes in passive income real estate investing through single family rentals private money lending, and international vacation rental properties. Visit them at areiusa.com. That's areiusa.com. What's the best ever book you've read? Best ever book I've ever read. I guess if it's a business book, I'm going to say The Speed of Trust by Stephen Covey. What's the best ever business transaction or real estate deal you've done? The best one was the first one that I told you about earlier. It happened so easily and fell together so nicely that it was a purely addictive. Just, man, a couple of phone calls and I made $10,000 wholesaling a property that I didn't have enough money to buy. What's a mistake you've made in business on a transaction? Biggest mistake that I ever made was not conveying my vulnerability. In other words... The biggest mistake that I ever made was at one point in time, I was not 100% honest with somebody that I was working with, and that came back to bite me more times than I can count. Best ever way you like to give back? I love helping people on bigger pockets. I like to spend time answering people's questions, and I make myself available to people who have questions trying to get started. I'm there all the time. Hit me up. And how can the best ever listeners get in touch with you? What's the best way? Best ever listeners can get in touch with me by going either to biggerpockets.com and looking up my profile, Jerry Puckett, or they can go to my website at www.marketlikeawholesaler.com. Fill out that contact form and I'll be in touch with you. Jerry, thank you so much for being on the show talking about best practices for direct mail, the differences not only in regions, but also in states and locations within states. Talked about Southern California, talked about the difference between that and sounds like, according to you, the polar opposite would be New Hampshire. With Texas, having y'all in there, Mustangs, the horse, not the car on the envelope, that sort of stuff. Really interesting because it's based on research and data, not opinion. And that's what's most interesting to me. It's simply what's working, and that's the kind of stuff that I really love learning about. And it will be helpful for any Best Ever listener who 
is doing direct mail to pay attention to the word choices that we're using. And then also you talked about that 50 unit and how to approach that larger property. So thanks again for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Joe. It's been great. I appreciate you. What is your return on life? Do you struggle with investing for a safe return? American Real Estate Investments specializes in passive income real estate investing through single family rentals, private money lending, and international vacation rental properties. Visit them at A-R-E-I-U-S-A dot com. That's A-R-E-I-U-S-A dot com.